Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School, where drawing, painting, and sculpture are studied in-depth, debated energetically, and created with passion. The school's full-time programs, a two-year MFA, and a three-year certificate prioritize experimental learning and perception. Beginning in fall 2021, the Studio School welcomes artists from around the world to join its inaugural virtual certificate program. Combining the studio-centric emphasis of the school's teaching methods with an individual real-time approach to online learning, this full-time program is designed for serious artists and dedicated aspiring artists who seek to cultivate the studio skills and methods that will prepare them for a lifetime of art making. The priority application deadline is April 30th, 2021. Apply online today at nyss.org. Janet Werner is a painter born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, who lives and works in Montreal, Quebec. She received her MFA from Yale University in 1987. She's had many solo shows, including ones at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Montreal, Parisian Laundry in Montreal, Anat Epke in Los Angeles, Gallery Julia Garnatz in Cologne, Sadie Bronfman Center for the Arts in Montreal, What If the World Gallery in Cape Town, and Plug Institute of Contemporary Art in Winnipeg. Her group exhibitions include shows at Mass Mocha, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Montreal, and Kenderdine Art Gallery in Saskatoon. A solo survey exhibition entitled Another Perfect Day, organized by the Kenderdine Art Gallery, University of Saskatchewan, toured to five locations in Canada from 2013 to 2015. Janet's work is in the collections of the Museum of Quebec, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Montreal, the Art Gallery of Ontario, Owens Art Gallery in Sackville, the Canadian Embassy in Berlin, University of Lethbridge, Alberta, Winnipeg Art Galleries, and numerous private and corporate collections. She has current work at 1226 Gallery in Dallas and a solo show at Bradley Ertaskerin Gallery in Montreal. I caught up with Janet for a talk about her time studying dance, living and working in Canada, listening to classical music, teaching, painting, and much more. Here's our conversation. Very cool. I I uh, I'm not a multitasker in in that way. I I really only do one thing now that I'm not teaching anymore. So yeah, no kids and it's really Painting. studio. So yeah, that's great. I mean, well, it's been great during the pandemic because um, it, you know that's my normal life. <laughs> so right, yeah. it hasn't changed that much. <laughs> Going to the studio, being by yourself. It's kind of conducive to art making. 
It know? is. It is a good focus, and and it's been a good year because I had some uh, shows scheduled that I had to work towards. So it's been it's been kind of it's been this weird combination of great and you know scary. <laughs> yeah, disturbing, but yeah. Um, well, there's I tend to maybe it's just my personality, but I. I tend to think there's a sort of positive and negative in everything, you know? It's like you, you can look at it on the bright side or you could look at it on the... Uh, not the so dark side, side yeah. <laughs> so it definitely helped during the pandemic when we were just stuck in here for months to, like, try to look on the bright side. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, these new modes of connecting with people. Yeah. Um, uh, people from far away, like I was mentioning this drawing club that um, I'm doing with my uh, my partner, who's also an artist, and we're meeting with people who are, you know, in L.A. and in Florida. And yeah, so, you know, these people, so people in New York and Florida and in uh, California, and, like, they're kind of digital friends. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we haven't met them in person. <laughs> But, um, you know, that wasn't happening pre-pandemic, so right. that's kind of interesting. It'll be interesting when we meet in person. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you like, know, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the, the Instagram, Instagramification of social, like, meet, meeting and, and getting to know people or familiarizing yourself with one's work, or I feel like that got thrown into the deep end of the pool with the pandemic because it was kind of like all the only way you could connect was through this mediated way. But, you know, it, it put to that theory of like, well, are these online relationships that you make with people, are they real even? You know, is it, what's the use? And then when the pandemic hit, it was kind of like, of course, we need this. We need, you know, a way to connect right. with each other. So it became a necessity in a way. But it's really, been, it's great for, and especially for people who, you know, like if you're not in the center of, a giant community it's a great way to connect and and i think that you know yes it's not the same as you know getting together for a drawing club and being in the same room and sketching from the figure or doing whatever you're doing but it's still i mean it's 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 pretty close in a way you know it's become it's become more of a social gathering even than you know sometimes some of us aren't actually drawing we're just hanging out yeah right talking stuff yeah relating in a way which is kind of what art is for you know it's kind of communicating so when you when that's been purged from you completely in a face-to-face situation you know it's it's almost the way art communicates with people otherwise it's like you make it for months in your studio and you put it up on a wall then other people go in and look at it and you never talk to most of those people so it's this weird kind of like it's even more disjointed of a communication going on you know absolutely yeah yeah it's and and it's going to be very strange these shows that are opening where there's no opening right and uh, at least at the opening you see people seeing the work right right? yeah 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 it's that although uh, openings i feel like are always kind of a blur like it's kind of you, you can never truly connect or something it's like this two hours of chaos where you're spinning and you know and it's crowded and then it's over and you're like yeah. what happened? what was that yeah. <laughs> it's like riding an amusement park ride you're like what the hell just happened to me like i think i talked to a few people and then you see people at a distance that you can't talk to and you're like oh i couldn't i didn't get a chance yeah. to talk to them you know it's like yeah. trying to compress 
a year or two years worth of work <laughs> into two hours. Yeah. It's really ridiculous, yeah. but it is. It is actually. Yeah, I was speaking with uh, my gallery here, and they were saying that you know, in some ways, that, that that's the positive. That's the upside is that you know people are spending more time with the work yeah. because they're coming in individually and you can actually meet with people for a longer period of time. So that, you know, that weird opening moment where sometimes people wouldn't come back at all. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. often actually. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I wonder what that, that will do to the dynamic between, you know, because it's, it's impossible really to divorce the work from the person who's making it, even if you don't know them or don't know the, especially nowadays, everyone knows everything about everyone because it's all over the place. You know what I mean? Or at least they have a perception of that, of how that yeah. gets shifted when you never actually meet the person or, you know, you don't have that in-person dynamic because so many of the, well, I don't know, it would be good to get your thoughts on this, but I mean, it, personally, so many of the things that have happened in my life have been through those, just meeting people at my show or seeing people and then talking and getting a conversation going and they get interested and then down the line something else happens and when that's kind of cut off I guess it just morphs into the online version of that where you just they see your work in this platform or or here or there and then they strike up a digital conversation or something yeah but it is so strange as a as a painter to you know what happens when you um instagram you know what happens to your paintings when they're on Instagram? Yes, yeah. that's not the painting. Right. And uh, I don't know. It's it's a funny thing. I um. I feel like it's a bit of you know it's a it's a lie, right? It's like it 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 it's it has no texture. Like it's a photograph. It's smoke and mirrors. <laughs> smoke and mirrors. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I mean, in some ways, it's great, but it, it transforms things into this very strange kind of wonderful kind of kind of toxic world yeah yeah but if you think about it like when I was a student I I wasn't getting to New York much at all you know I was in Pennsylvania which felt like at that time miles and miles and well years away from New York so the only time I was seeing work was on art forum or in you know the times or like I was just through that and that is just as flat because you're seeing one picture not even in color sometimes of the work and then the review that you're basing your perception of the show on and you know you just and it was so curated in a way it was like the power of those critics or those people who were writing those pieces were establishing what was important to look at basically or at least the conceptually that was the idea so at least now you're seeing videos and you're getting it's a little more immersive it's a little more yeah and I wonder Open. what the toxicity is. I, I would imagine that it's a direct relationship, the toxicity between those handful of critics choosing who gets the important write-up and that's who's successful is probably equal to the toxicity of social media in general and its effect on our psyche and life. It's, it's all, yeah. isn't it just all the same, just different packaging? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> same shit, yeah. different day. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's, which is why you have to make some healthy lifestyle choices. Yeah, you've got to mediate and, it, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is hard because it's so addictive. Definitely. Yeah. It's well, and, and to the same effect, I think back then it was so addictive to think like, oh, if I could just get a New York Times review. Or like that one magazine article or whatever would be really cool. Like, you know, you were shooting for things, but now it's definitely more about like image and 
it, it reflects back a little more, which is always dangerous. But you paint people primarily. I do. So how do, has that I... shifted everything? <laughs> has that had an effect? Well, I don't paint from real people. Right. But I mean, <laughs> it's still, um, it's, it's, you know, people, you know what I mean? And, and our relationship to the image of a person, I think, is right. so different now than it was 20 years ago. It's true. Um, I, however, I'm still kind of analog old school in that I work, I don't work with the computer at all. Mm-hmm. I work from print images, from still like magazines. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think I'm working for magazines that are, you know, 10 years old, at least, often. Um, so, uh, I'm not thinking about the um, digital world so much. Although, yeah, I mean, the overwhelming number of images that are coming at you from magazines is it's multiplied you know on on in yeah. on instagram or online it's just it's faster and faster more and more it just feels kind of overwhelming which is one of the reasons why i, I prefer working with print because you can hold it in your hand and you can turn the pages and so it feels it feels different and like you can slow it down it's right. like it's much slower so I notice you have a kind of a half face behind you there, which I'm drawn to. I do. It almost looks a little bit Alex Katzy. That's my behind. that's my wife, and that's my cat. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> half half. Yes, there's, there's, I didn't couldn't see the cat from here, but now that you mentioned that, I see. She's that's a very nice. black Maine Coon mix, so it's a lot of fur and like one eyeball, basically. Okay, nice. <laughs> But yeah, I'm like Very kind nice. of working here, working in the studio and working like, you know, I've, I've tried to work at home more now, too, since I'm here a lot. But, but yeah. yeah, like, but also not just the shift, though, because that's an interesting shift of like the saturation of, of mediated okay. images of people and that effect, but also just the effect of like how we're interacting with people differently now with, you know, post pandemic than we were before. You know, and just I feel like our relationship to the face or to the just the image of people. I mean, obviously, that's always continually changing and morphing in relation to everything that's going on around us. But I don't know when I was looking at this recent work, um, you know, with 1226, like in in looking at the website and like your images, it's just like I I think in the back of my mind, I understand there's kind of a different um, path that my brain takes to that image of the person that maybe. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have made that same path. So it's just interesting because you've been working, you know, it's not like you just got out of school. I'm not saying that you're a veteran or that you've been around for a while doing this, but, I, you know, you're not just out of school, like you've been working in a way. So, like, I'm interested in how that, maybe you could talk a little bit about the shift between, like, what you were doing as a student or even younger than that and how that moved through school into what you're doing now. Oh my god! Yeah, wow, that, there's a journey. That is going way back. Basically, <laughs> where were you born? What hospital? And take us from there. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, as seriously, I oh, mean, yeah, I yeah. Was let's born, go to the beginning. Okay, okay. So I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, people know where Winnipeg is, right? I, I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a hockey fan, so my Canadian okay. geography and knowledge is always you know initiated through 
hockey. So the Jets. Yeah, okay. I know where Winnipeg. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I grew up in Winnipeg, and my first uh, sort of love was dance, actually. The Royal Winnipeg Ballet was based in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and I studied at the school. Um, so I was sort of heading into a kind of a, a, a dance career, but uh, around my mid-teens, I became disaffected because of the, well, for a lot of different reasons, actually, but um, wrong body type, the, the competitive thing, the pain, withstanding pain, uh, the torture of dancing on point, all those things, yeah. and also just curiosity and interest in more intellectual pursuits. So I, I quit in a, when I was about 16, and I studied... Uh, literature and philosophy in university for about four years before I became before I learned that you could actually study fine arts at university that was before you knew that was a thing yeah I didn't know it was a thing (laughs) it was my it was my sister actually who who my older sister who was the a talented sort of visual artist she was the class artist Mm -hmm. But she wasn't interested in pursuing it as a as a career, so she noticed that I was drawing all the time, right, <laughs> <laughs> on the side. Yeah, and she she said one day she suggested that you know I consider going into fine arts, and I was like, what <laughs> me? I could do that. And uh, so then I then I did, and I sort of started from, you know, I went back to foundation program. I went to Baltimore. I studied at the Maryland Institute for four years. And uh, and I never looked back. I was uh, never happier. Yeah, I loved being a student, and I loved studying uh, fine arts. I, was, I couldn't believe I'd found something that was so compelling and interesting. And um, yeah, because it, it's like a different part of your brain that you use when you're making things, right? Yeah, I, lo- I loved making things. So and a different part of the body, you weren't destroying your feet in the process necessarily (laughs) right yes but there is this kind of physical empathic thing that goes on when you're looking and transcribing and my entire undergraduate experience was about painting from and drawing from observation right from direct observation so um yeah i was pretty narrowly focused at that time and it was really the figure in space (laughs) <laughs> I had a teacher I liked, Mark Carnes, and I studied with him, and I just took him as many of his classes as I could, and then, um, and then when I went to grad school at Yale, which I think I believe I was there ahead of you, a little, yeah, a little bit ahead of you. <laughs> um, I stopped painting from observation, and I had no idea how to paint. It, well, yeah, that. <laughs> Like none. <laughs> it hits the reset button, right? Completely. Well, wait. Before so before we go into the, the grad school thing, a quick question about your youth. When you were growing up, I mean, obviously dance was a part. Like it was something introduced to you, I assume, by your parents. Like, oh, this is something mm-hmm. you could do. I mean, were your parents creative people, or were they just supportive of the arts, or did you go to museums and things like that too? Was that at all ever in the back of your mind? Um, my grandmother was a painter. Okay, there you go. Well, that's um, someone my, you, who was doing it, you know? 
Yeah, I grew up with her paintings. Yeah. They were around us all the time. And my mother is an interior was an interior designer. She and my sister's an interior designer. So the, the and my dad was an eye doctor. So they were all in the visual field oh, yeah. in some way. That, that works. That all lines up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I had exposure that way. I don't remember going to museums very much. Uh, but um we did travel when I was about 13 or so. We did this big tour of Europe and we we did we went to lots of museums. I don't remember the impact it had, but yeah, there was art there was art in the environment. My dad was a lover of literature and so it wasn't entirely out of the blue. And I, I was taking classes at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Like, you know, the, they had a school yeah. and I would take figure drawing. Um, and then there was another little small school where I took, again, figure drawing. I went, my sister took me, signed me up and said, and promised not to take it with me <laughs> because uh, she was so good. <laughs> Was she so just, she, uh, she was like a draftsman, like she was able to really, she had proficiency. Yeah, she was just kind of intuitive. Yeah. So, you know, I had that awkward, primitive, like very unskilled. <laughs> um, but the, but the funny thing is, you know, she had, because it was easy for her, she wasn't, she didn't want to pursue it. Oh yeah. That happens so much, you know, like I, there's so many times where, you know, the, the person who becomes the artist or who who pursues it is are the the people who are sort of that second tier in art class. There was always the person who was so good at drawing whatever it was, and then there was the Too second easy. tier who were like really into it, but they had to work to try to make anything that looked accomplished at that point. So I think sometimes that drive or that you know it's almost like dangling the carrot in front of the mule. You know, it just makes you. <laughs> Go, instead of being the mule or just, I don't know, it, it, there's something about that wanting to get better or not being the best at it that gives you that drive, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, were you in second tier also? Yeah, that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> I was spunky. Yeah. I had energy. That was for sure. It was like that with soccer. I played soccer my whole life. I wasn't the best guy on the team. But I worked hard. Mm-hmm. Like I always wanted right. to to be better. Right. So I think it just yeah. and and those people who are really good drive you too. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. even my college Absolutely. roommate, he's a, an artist. You know, he's a, he's a friend and an artist working today in L.A. He was always working harder than me. Like I would get to the studio, he was there. I would leave, he was still there. And that you know made me think I, I got to work harder. You know, it gives you that drive. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're just yeah. given the gift and everyone's like, oh, you're amazing. Mm-hmm. It's harder to feel that, I would imagine, Push. I don't know firsthand, but I imagine it would be harder to feel the urgency to, to feel exactly. like you need to, to push yourself. Yeah. Yeah, determination and doggedness I have kind of in abundance. Yeah. Let's <laughs> see. It's good, though. You and, need and it's that, still a struggle. I, I mean, I still feel the same. Sorry? Oh, I think, I was going to say, I think you need that. Like, in, yeah. like, we all need that sense of drive or else you complacency can just sort of I don't know mellow you out I mean it's probably good mentally Mm -hmm. (laughs) to feel relaxed in your abilities and you know but I think that uh as far as like getting things done you you need that fire under your butt sometimes yeah and I you know I sometimes regret that I'm so narrowly focused on just one medium on painting and 
I find, you know, you learn a lot when you, you know, move a little bit outside of your medium, but I always find it such a struggle. Uh, and, but also a pleasure, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, it's just always remain, it's remained challenging. Yeah. Like you never feel like you can do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I guess my, I joke that the limitations that I have in a specific medium are just offset by me just bouncing around to something else. And then I feel like I'll try to get better at that other thing by whatever I learned in the other thing. I don't know if it's successful yeah. or not, but, but then there's something to be said for, you know, like if you're a baker, you just bake all the time and you work on that craft and you get really good at that. You know what I mean? And there's something to be mm-hmm. said for that. And then there's the people who cook, they bake, they, you know, perform or whatever, you know, it's, it's, I think everyone, hopefully, ideally everyone finds their lane and whether that's like yeah. a one lane, you know, dirt road or like a. 12 lane interchange you know what I mean you kind of find your way that your your gut tells you you need to do you know yes yes and I feel so lucky and happy that I was able to find a lane yeah yeah definitely so yeah some people don't even get on the road yeah which always feels bad you know the people who are like yeah I just don't have that thing in my life that I feel like I really want to do and I always feel bad about that yeah yeah yeah, so my retirement, you know, I don't, I'm not struggling with what to do. Right. Because <laughs> I've, you know, I know, I've been known, I've known what I wanted to do all along, so I just continue. I, I, I really feel that way. Like, as an artist, if you quote unquote retire, isn't that just saying, like, oh, now I get to focus on what I've wanted to do the whole time, all this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where I think a lot of people yeah, retire is- and they're like, what now, what now, what the hell do I do? You know, yeah. and they're lost. But I feel like as an artist, it's like you never retire from it. You could do this. You know, now I'm just going to have more time to do the thing that I wanted to do, basically. Yeah, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it is that you can't exhaust it. You'll, you'll be exhausted before. Definitely. It's exhausted. Yeah, yeah. No one's figured it out. <laughs> no, and it's just all it opens up. It's uh, always opening up. Not not that that's easy, but it, it does happen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, so, sorry, I cut you off there and it was a big tangent, but so you get to graduate school after, you went to MICA for undergrad, right? And you were doing yeah. painting from life and then you get into grad school. I mean, that's, in the 80s, I've heard the stories. <laughs> you can confirm on the record of what that experience was like, but I, I will say that there were artists that we brought back as visiting artists when I was in graduate school who told quite a story about their experience in grad school in Yale in the 80s. Well, I mean, it wasn't that... I mean, the thing that that seemed to have distinguished the program when I was there, you know, and it was painting and drawing program was separate from sculpture. So it was still discipline-specific. Yeah. and. Um, we were not encouraged to talk or write or, you know, look at theory. We were just encouraged to work and, you know, paint in the case of the painting program. Um, you know, don't speak, just paint, make things. And, uh, when I, after I graduated and I moved back to Canada, you know, theory was very big, feminist theory and. Uh, the new art history and sort of critical 
thinking and painting was, you know, a little bit dead up here in Canada. So, um, you know, the art magazines were all in black and white. And <laughs> it's like, it was a very strange experience to move from the States back to Canada. Um, but at grad school, um, I was struggling because I stopped doing what I knew how to do, which was to paint from observation. And I started trying to figure out, you know, what is abstraction and how do you make an abstract painting? And um, I was floundering. So, uh, and it didn't seem really that there was much help for it, actually. Um, and I do what I always do, which is I isolate myself in the studio and I just try and, I just work. Yeah. So I didn't hang out that much. I didn't, and unfortunately, I'm not uh, really still in touch with people in the grad program from back then, even though there were like 40 grad students in painting and drawing. Was it that big when you were there? The total between the two years or just one year? Yeah, between the two years. Yeah, I think it was around 38 or 40, if I'm not mistaken. Although, so it was a huge program. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that was, wait, was that just in, yeah, that's just in painting. Yeah, because when yeah. I was there, it was still separated. Like, we were in the A&A building. Sculpture was, like, 10 years away. Yeah, You know, exactly. like, they, it was segregated. You, you know, and, yes. and they, there was no encouragement, really. They, You could tell they were siloed, and they liked that, you know. Yeah. So we had to yeah. seek out. I had to go make friends with sculpture students and go over there and see their lectures. And then I made friends in graphic design because it was a really great graphic design program and some really smart professors over there and um you know so you had to make that effort it wasn't something that was just like hey we're all making art here you know yeah so i didn't even hang out with the painting and drawing people i know i know your type you were one of those there were some people there who were just like they did their thing they would go into the studio close the door and then they did their thing and then they left and you didn't really and then there were the people who were the exact opposite i mean i was kind of in between there were some people okay. who were just there for the party. I mean, they were like, it was a wild scene, you know? So it was kind of like you had the two. And then you had a couple students somehow that were just never there, which always baffled me. <laughs> like, wait, you got in here, you got this beautiful studio, and you're just never there and working oh, from home funny. or something. But Oh, my God. I had the most beautiful studio in the second year. On the first floor, on the fourth floor, I think it was, right? Well, in the first year, I had a small studio on the fourth floor. And then in the second year, I won the lottery and I got to move into that beautiful old building that was... Oh, you were in that one, the theater, the one with the gypsy next to it, right? The graduate, like, theater place. And then there was that side building. Yeah, yeah. It was gorgeous. Those studios Um, were nice. They were. They were amazing. So, yeah, I, I was there, but... Yeah, I'm uh, unfortunately I'm one of those isolation type artists, and I always tell st- students like you know don't hide away when you go to grad right. school. Spend time with people, like meet people. Don't stay in your studio. Don't do what I did, you know, because <laughs> you know you you realize people are really important later. <laughs> yeah, that community. I think now, it's it's hard because in retrospect, you understand a lot of things about the experience that are valuable when you're in it it's just like, well, A, it's chaos and you're intimidated and, you know, but then you really, you don't think about the fact that like community is going to be really one of the biggest things about your experience there because yeah, you have good teachers and you learn a lot and you're exposed to a lot, but it's also that kind of just the atmosphere for a couple of years of being in that zone of everyone taking this thing really seriously, you know? 
Yeah, but the thing is that you know making things is very slow process. It is. You know, yeah. and two years is not a long time. So, and especially if you decide you're not going to continue doing what you did when you came in, you're going to completely yeah reset and try and figure out some new thing. That takes a long time. In fact, it took me like two or three years out of grad school before I started to settle down a bit. Yeah. I think that's fairly common too. But um, so yeah, I mean, I was at grad school an hour away from New York City, and I never went into New York to look at shows. I was just in my studio, yeah, <laughs> which is kind of insane. But <laughs> that's what I did. Well, technically, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> it's like hunker down and focus and do that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the peripheral I mean, stuff is is great, you know. Like when I think about my time there, it was like going to the museum and and then I made I became friends with some of the undergrads and I started a band which I totally didn't want or mean to do, but and played shows and we, you know, I had a oh, wow. side band like a Latin jazz band that I played in and we played at the gym, at the uh of uh, Rudy's like we would play out and you know all that stuff. It was so much fun. Oh, good. That's good. You were having fun. Yeah, but working. But honestly, like not really sleeping much and working all the time. Like I made a ton of work, but also trying to squeeze everything else. I guess that's what I do. But I, you know, just try to squeeze it all in. You know, not even right. purposefully. It was just like, oh well, I don't want to pass up this opportunity to play some music and meet other people, and you know, it was pretty great. Right. A great environment for how intense it was. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and but at the end of it, um, you know, some I I applied for teaching jobs. Yeah, because I didn't know what else to do. So you didn't have the New York because, like, I would imagine in the eighties, even more so than when I was there, the mantra is is like you go try to to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a little girl from Winnipeg. Um, <laughs> I was a little intimidated. You know, I I didn't want to waitress again. I had done that during those four years before I went to art school. Yeah, not not good. I couldn't imagine, like, trying to scrape together some way of supporting myself in New York. So I didn't know what the options were other than being a waitress and teaching. Those seemed like the two options. (laughs) (laughs) You so tables, yeah, I did apply. Teach. I applied for teaching jobs. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the same. I used to say. I mean, did you have uh, classmates that went down and and sort of moved there and did it? Oh yeah, John Curran and Lisa Yaskavich. But I just wasn't uh, brave enough to do that. And also, I, as I said, I was I threw everything up in the air and didn't feel like I was very centered in my work at that point when I graduated. I wasn't in a position. Also, the teachers did not encourage us to to put ourselves forward in any way. We were sort of made to feel like we wouldn't be ready to show until, you know, for years. So uh, that's a very different thing than what happens now. You know, students now in grad school are you know, encouraged to, to show as soon as possible and gallerists come and pick them out of grad programs. In fact, I think I only started showing my work because I had to as a tenure track faculty member. 
Oh, really? So you went back and got a teaching job right away? I did. I got a teaching job in Saskatchewan. Wow. It was the only job I applied for in Canada, and that's the job I got. <laughs> Sounds cold. <laughs> it's cold, but it's beautiful. I'm it's sure. A dry, it's a dry cold. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, it's this, I, I'd never been to Saskatchewan, but it's, it's the next province over from where I grew up. Yeah. And you couldn't have moved closer to Winnipeg without actually moving to Winnipeg. <laughs> Very that. close to home. Yeah, exactly. So, so you had a faculty show and it's like, okay, I'm going to start showing by default. Well, basically. no, you had to show in order to get tenure. Oh, so yeah, that's true. I, I, uh, that's why I started showing. But it was, was the it? most, it was so important because that's how I learned what I was doing was by showing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That dialogue, right? It's yeah, so important. Exactly. So it was yeah. a research university. Um, what do you mean? Like it was, oh, yeah, maybe it's different. And just like tier one research or research universities often like on based on your tenure, you have to have a certain amount of research, which is like you showing your work or being engaged in the field to sort of prove your value. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, I mean, that sounds, it seems like it worked out. (laughs) It worked out really, really well in the sense that I felt secure financially. I didn't have to worry about, you know, where was I didn't have to worry about how I was going to survive. I didn't have to sell my work in order to survive. So, except that I wasn't, I had no teaching experience really. And uh, I'm so introverted that it took some time to figure out how I was going to manage, you know, teaching and and develop the skill set because, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Right. Yeah. Teaching is not easy. And it really, you know, it, it, it even I think if you're inclined to teach and you connect with people, I think you still learn so much over the years of doing it about, Absolutely. you know, just how to connect and the, the best ways to teach people. So, yeah, that's a, a work in progress, too. You know, and was, we we learn they, a lot from those teachers we've had who are horrible. <laughs> right. Yes. Don't do that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and And I think that the great thing about teaching is that. You know, you're looking at and talking about art all the time. Definitely. Even if you're not in the studio, you're still thinking through all these things and communicating to other people what you're seeing. So I don't know what would have happened to me if I hadn't gotten a teaching job, you know, given how reclusive I I sort of tend to be. So it was very yeah. beneficial for me, even though it was so challenging. Yeah, it kind of keeps the cobwebs, you know, from forming on certain, you know, because I basically worked and showed for, I think it was a while, like uh, like 14 years or something before I started teaching. So, you know, I feel like once I started teaching, I was like, oh, it's nice to dust off some of this conceptual, you know, like reading more, because when you're in the day-to-day, you're just so busy that, you know, you don't have sometimes you don't have all the time in the world to think about, you know, whatever. Yes, you know, absolutely. Whatever no, theoretical stuff, you know, so it's nice to sort of be engaged and, and to use that part of the brain. Totally. Yeah. I, that part of it is wonderful and you never have to teach the same thing twice because you can change it every time you teach it. So. And new students, which is great yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. There's always yeah. a new, not all, doesn't, mean it's necessarily a good thing but you're always going to get a different energy yes 
<laughs> Sometimes, some semesters, yeah, you get you get a weird energy, but mm-hmm. it keeps you on your toes. It does absolutely. But the best thing that happened <laughs> was that, um, well, the 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 issue about teaching in Saskatchewan was that it was a very heavy teaching load. So mm-hmm. it did mean that I couldn't be in the studio during the teaching year, which was lousy. Um, but yeah, here now I live in Montreal. So I, I after 12 years in Saskatchewan, I uh, moved to Montreal to teach at Concordia University where the teaching mm-hmm. load was like half. So with teaching... Half, two, man, what was yeah, it? What was it prior? What was your load? Well, what I... It was like five 2020? courses. Five. <laughs> That's a lot. When when I first started teaching, it was there was five courses a year, and then how can you I, do? How can one teach five classes? You would wouldn't circus. you just get confused on which ones? Where? <laughs> your it seems like your focus wouldn't be able to be there. Well, but yeah, it was terrible actually. There was like th- three repeater classes or two repeater classes, and. Uh, it was insane, actually insane, and yeah, I, I kind of I resented it. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah, I mean that that is too much. I mean the repeater classes. Are you saying those are just classes that are the same thing each semester, like it's rote? Yeah, like you teach the same thing twice in 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 the same semester. So oh, great. <laughs> you know, repeat. <laughs> Can you just record yourself? I mean, yeah, nothing. Nothing brings staleness to teaching <laughs> right. a class than the second version of that class in a day. Yeah, exactly. I guess you but, have to look at it as like a stand-up and it's your second set. <laughs> exactly, yes. But it was all new to me at that time. So, you know, I was, I learned how to teach and how to, I mean, it was, but it was always so demanding that I couldn't, I couldn't sustain my practice during this, the school year. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad I left because once I got here, I could keep going all the time. So I've been here for 20 years and, uh, yeah, it changed my life because I was able to just, you know, work consistently throughout the year in the studio. Yeah. Did you find that the work itself, like what you were painting, um, changed not obviously literally but I mean that shift between having big breaks where you have to do nothing but teach and then all of a sudden it's like oh here's the studio again did did the work shift between that and then being able to consistently work yeah it was a nightmare because when you are interrupted by a long period of time and you get back into the studio you you're lost you don't know where you are it takes like a month to find your footing again and isn't that weird have, yeah yeah i mean even if i'm away from the studio for a week and i go in i'm like <laughs> yeah who am i today what was i <laughs> you know what is so, all this work <laughs> <laughs> exactly this. you're like a stranger <laughs> it does feel that way i agree completely it feels uncomfortable yes you know yeah yeah so that was not good for me and yeah, I don't know how people have kids, and I don't, most of the women in the institution did not have kids. That's tough, too, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's, like, especially, I mean, hopefully things are changing a little. I, but, I mean, you know, I don't, the support system doesn't seem like it's really quite there. No, know? no. 
No, it was uh, it was very challenging. Um, but as I said, when I moved here, it was so much more reasonable and human, and the students were different were more advanced and and more diverse, and it was initially. Uh, it was much more fun in a way because the students were so much more engaged at a, at a higher level. So Yeah, that's yeah. inspiring too, right? When you get mm-hmm. that energy. Yeah, they had tremendous energy and they're good, they're good students. I had a friend actually that I went to graduate school with and he taught at a small college in New Jersey. Really small. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. of course, the art program was like, you know, not, it was just one of those classes that people took. It's like, oh, I'll take art. Easy. Right. And he would talk about like how it was kind of soul crushing because yeah. no one really cared. And they were just, and he was trying to like bring life to it. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, it like, makes a huge difference. I, I think so. You know, you really need that energy. Again, with a reference to stand up comedy, it's like if you have a crowd where no one's laughing and no one cares, or you're, you're performing in front of a banquet hall where people aren't even there for the show, that's got to yeah. be rough, you know? It's like oh, you yeah. need that energy off the crowd and the, off the students that they're, they're actually engaged in the process, you know? Yes, right, yeah. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be around that kind of energy when people are serious about it. Yeah, and Montreal, I mean, you've been there 20 years now? Mm-hmm, yeah. You yes. must, I would assume that you like it. I've only heard good things. I haven't been to Montreal, but I've only heard good things about it. It's it's an interesting city. It's unique. It's uh, sexy. It's got, you know, it's multilingual. So or it's bilingual, like uh, first and then multilingual. But, um, you know, it's a very dense urban center compared yeah. to Saskatoon, where I was living before. And I actually, I like the small towns. So, uh, now that I've retired oh, from yeah. teaching, I, I question whether I really need to be here at this point. Do you have a studio that you've been in for a long time? Actually, I had to move my studio for the first time last year. I was in the same studio for 20 years. Wow, that's pretty amazing. It was it was great, and the rent was really reasonable, but then they sold the building, and everyone had to move out. So I just moved into a new studio last year. And uh, it's a nice studio, but I'm still getting used to it. Um, it's close to home. I can walk there. and I mean, that, that's the thing that it ties you when you, when you have uh, a studio, a physical space that you have to be near. So yeah. you can't really leave the city where your studio is and live somewhere else unless you set up, figure out another kind of setup. So I was going to say, because so many people nowadays with the pandemic i i've i know of a lot of artists who have gotten out of the city and have yeah. moved upstate new york or moved out out west into different states and just set up a big because you can i mean let's face it if you're outside of an urban area you can get dirt cheap land and mm-hmm. you know you can kind of do your thing and make it amazing you know right these huge studios and how you want it with the light and all that stuff or do you ever get tempted to that Yes, I, I, we, we toy with the idea, but uh, I, I'm afraid of getting too isolated, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'll see. That's, that's the rub, right? 
is like yeah. the peace and quiet of out there and, and that. But then will you, you know, the grass is always greener. Yeah. Who are you going to hang out with? Not that I hang out with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're there for I now. I think that. And you've. Yes, I'm here for now. I think that one of the things that this pandemic makes you realize is that because I don't, I don't reach out to people easily and naturally, like I was really dependent on things like openings yeah. to structure my social right, experiences. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'd see a lot of people at openings and I'd feel like, okay, I had, I'm connected, you know, and yeah, now definitely. without that, yeah, it's harder. Well, what about um, like other things? Like, what are your other? Are you into music? Do you listen to a lot of music? I mean, you obviously dance was part of your life. What are your other sort of hobbies or interests or things that you know maybe touch the creativity, but it's outside of your just being in the studio? Are you really one laned and you just it's um, painting, 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 which would be kind of awesome. It is. It's really painting, painting, painting. I mean, I'm. I. I. Having said that, I have a pretty relaxed lifestyle. Like I don't usually get to the studio until eleven or twelve or one. Like, and then I spend four to six hours there. So the rest of the time, outside of that, it's it's. Uh, you know, walking nature. I don't know what I'm doing outside of that time. <laughs> I mean, like, I go for a lot of walks. I, I, you know, we have a nice garden, hang out, have coffee. I don't, I, it's pretty, it's a much, it's a very relaxed lifestyle. Like, I'm not, I can't be very much produ- that productive more beyond six hours in the studio. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you yeah. meditate at all? Oh, yeah, there's the exercise piece. Um, <laughs> so... So yeah, I do yoga, I do, uh, I used to go to the gym, now I work out at home just with the online classes Isn't it hard though? I, that's, yes, I miss is. the gym, because it's just yeah. a place where you can, it's like the studio, it's like working mm-hmm. at home, like yeah, you can work at home, but it's different, you know? There's something nice totally. about going to the place where you can focus and just do that thing, and the equipment yes. and all that, and trying to do everything at home gets exhausted. It's ironic, right? We complain mm-hmm. about having to run around all the time or going here and there. Then you have an opportunity to do everything at home, basically. And you're like, well, this is a pain in the ass to be at home all the time. <laughs> well, I actually live a five-minute walk from the gym. Oh, perfect. Uh, I, I had to be no more than like, you know, 10-minute walk. <laughs> <laughs> had to be in your so, circumference. Yeah, so that was super important. And the studio had to be walking distance as well. So it's like 15 minutes to the studio, five minutes to the gym, everything. It was all set up. Yeah, that sounds kind of like <laughs> heaven, to be honest. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Um, although I, after going to the gym for 20 years, I was pretty bored with that. So I, I'm not sorry to have a break and to do other kinds of routines. Yeah. But um, yeah, aside from painting, it's like, basically working out and making meals and making the garden and it's uh I'm very privileged you know yeah no it sounds really nice to be honest I mean you found a great I feel like it's you know because there's always that just because we were talking about grad school and all that there's always that notion of like oh you got to move the city you got to go to New York or LA and make work and blah blah and you've you sound like you've carved a really great sort of path and a way to do it you know what I mean that's not the sort of like prescriptive way that they're like well you got to do this you got to do that 
I yeah, it's true. I mean, I I'll never I'll never regret not having to worry about uh, money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like having a job teaching is really for an artist very um, good because you do have time to do your own work and you don't you're not reliant on sales but um yeah i am i'm I'm lucky although i I always wonder like gee if i had moved to new york you know what would my career look different how would it look different you know yeah we never know you know i mean we never know sometimes i think what if i moved to hong kong after school (laughs) (laughs) where did you move to did you move to new york yeah i went to I did the the school trifecta, undergrad, grad, Skowhegan, right in the block, like all together. So by the time I moved to New York, I was ready for just me. Like, you know, no one in the studio. I was ready for it. And so I just came straight to New York. I didn't know what else to do. I was bored. What else am I going to (laughs) do? I didn't have any ambitions. How did you survive? Uh, I worked windows at Macy's. Oh. Because, and to your point, you know how you were saying like, oh, well, you wait tables or you, you know, mine was, I'm from Pittsburgh, so I knew Warhol and I knew Philip Perlstein and, you know, and like the people like, you know, you go to New York and you work in the windows, you get a job doing something creative and I did it. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, to make some money and then work at night until I started showing. That's cool. But, you know, you just sometimes, I mean, that back then too was different. No internet. So you just, it's word of mouth. It's like, oh, well, I guess this is what I can do. I look in the newspaper for a gig, you know, mm-hmm. and it now it's like students are freshmen and undergrad and they're like, well, after I get my PhD, like they have it all figured out. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's so many options and they've, it's, it's a whole different ball game, I think. Yeah. 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 Well, you, so I mean, and not to change the subject, but you got, you do have a show here. I mean, like what's the, let's talk, people some people get driven crazy about how long it takes to get into the work. <laughs> but but I'm interested in people's lives too. So it's, you know, cause that, I think that informs the work, but so like, what's the work for the show at 12 to 26. So I actually have two shows opening this month, one at 12 26 yeah. and one here in Montreal. Um, the show in, at 12 26 is a two person show with Kier Tanchuk. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's actually someone who had been a student at Concordia and graduated just before I moved here. So she wasn't a student of mine. But um, we, we met uh, through someone who was a student of mine. Um, and then she moved away immediately. Um, she went to Chicago and did her master's and lived there for a long time. And now she lives in Dallas. And uh, she uh, did visit my studio many years ago, and um, I was I was a fan of her work also. Um, but we didn't have a lot of communication, um, and then somehow she reached out to me um, a couple years ago and invited me to do this show with her with, at this gallery which is relatively new it's a young gallery Mm -hmm. and uh so we had it on the books two years ago and then the pandemic happened and I've always wanted to go to Dallas and I've never been to Texas and in my mind there's this kind of 
uh, fascination with with that place. Footballs and so, oil rigs. <laughs> cow cowboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah cowboys. <laughs> Isn't it funny? I like our Texas kind of. You know what? Pic- yeah. What you picture? It's so almost cartoony of a state. In in what it's we totally, yeah. uh, think about what it must yeah. be like. You know exactly. I'll be disappointed, I'm sure, when I go and it's like a real place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but they have a lot of art down there, they do. right? Yeah, it's it's a great art place. I mean, it's great museums. There's a mm-hmm. lot of interest. And, in, uh, yeah, it's Texas. Is, I mean, Texas is jumping. Like, people are moving there from all over. It's a little Wild Westy with its pandemic reaction and stuff like that. But it's, you know, people are... People are going there. It's got something for everyone, that's for sure. It's got the Austin kind of like, you know, Brooklyn to the South sort of thing. And it's got the, uh, you know, a little bit of the conservative side and it's got money and it's, you know, it's got a lot of, a lot of elements to it. It, Yeah, indeed. She loves it there. She loves, she she really likes Dallas and she's found, she feels there's a, a, a good community there and the scale of the city and. Um, so, and she has wonderful things to say about the gallerists yeah. and so it's pretty exciting. I wish that I could have gone, but, um, I guess I'll have to go another time. Um, but there are some overlaps in our work. That's, that's, um, part of the idea of the show. Um, we both work with images of women from popular culture, from art history. Um, she works on cut metal. Uh, aluminum and um, so physically our work is quite different because the media the medium is different but um, I think it's going to be really interesting and I'm curious about it and so we'll see how they're going to install this Wednesday so I'll be it's exciting. looking and then the show that's yeah. in at home at the hometown space What what can you tell mm-hmm. us about that? Yeah, it's a it's a solo show, and um, I have a, it's my first solo show with that with the gallery since two thousand and seventeen. So it's been a little while, um, and it's a, the work is a little bit different. That's going into that show. It's it's a little more obviously collage based. This my work all is sort of built from collages. That's, that's sort of my sketching. Yeah, um, is building collages, and then. In this newer work, uh, the collage is really more evident. You see the cuts and the attachments of the pieces, and the figure is a little more... um, uh, It's disturbed in a different way. It used to be that I would hide the collage, so you'd see, you know, a head from one body and the body from a different source, and they would look odd or awkward because of the sort of splicing together. But now you actually see the... The, the way things are built. So this is going to be a little bit of a different show. It's a little bit more, um, not busy, but um, complex. It's a little more complex in terms of the structure of the images. Yeah. So it's exciting. And, but conceptually, mm-hmm. the the sort of the conceptual um, element of the figure is is similar in both shows. You know what I mean? Like, cause what's the, with the source material? Is it still with the magazines that you're talking about? Yeah. It so is, it's sort of it like is. this representation of like, is it mostly women? It is. It is. Um, but the funny thing is that you know we were talking earlier about 
the narrow one lane uh, focus. Well, it's similar in terms of my source material. I've been using mining the same source material for so long. Um, uh, And I just try to, and I'm just finding different ways of uh, undermining it, (laughs) subverting it. But I never really give it up. So yeah, it has the same sources. Uh, they're just sort of cut up in different ways and made a little more abstract, perhaps, in the show here. It's a little more emphasis on what's going on around the figure, whereas in the, the works that went to Dallas, the focus is, the figure is more centralized, I think. Yeah. That'll be great so. to see that kind of, you know, the difference between the two. And it's it's really cool to have them up at the same time. I mean, it's a shame that you can't see the the other show but it's a, it, it sounds like it's going to be a nice dialogue between the differences between the two works in the shows and then also you know having a two person show down there and that dialogue that you can always get between showing with someone else you know it, it should yeah. be like a, a, a pretty cool triangle of, of ideas and images I think so I think so I wish there was a way to make it all uh, to translate it all into words I always feel this at the moment of you know, putting the work out there, and I'm right now. I'm looking for a title for my show here, and it's always a challenge to attach words to the work. Yeah. And I always, it's a funny thing because it's like, even though you build all the information you want as much as you can into your into the painting, in the end, you still sort of feel an anxiety or like. Can you trust that people will will receive it or see it? Right. You know? yeah, yeah. And you feel like I ought to be able to say in words what this is doing, and it's like, no, you're sort of you don't even know yourself what you've done until you see it in the space. So I think that's why it's always super valuable and great when other people write about it because in a way, it, as long as you like what those people uh, bring to it verbally, I mean, it's just a great way to sort of have an interpretation to work outside of yourself you know because it does feel a little bit like a feedback loop whenever you try to write about your own work but having someone you trust or you that you love the way they sort of you know put ideas to paper you know i i did a catalog for a show a couple years ago and i asked three of my friends to just write pieces about the work and it was so great because each one was so different but i love the way they approach things and Two of them weren't writers; they were just artists. But uh, you know, it's it's just cool to get that other, the other side. You know. Well, you need that. You you, well, you don't need it. You want yeah. it. <laughs> you really want yeah, it. Yeah, it's helpful. You um, know, to, it's very helpful. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, um, last question: When you're in the studio, is it is it silence, or do you listen to music no. and podcasts or movies or TV? Or I listen to a lot of classical music. That makes sense. And uh, yeah, and uh, lately I've been listening to uh, Ravi Shankar. Nice. <laughs> um, I like usually when I first start working music without words, um, and sometimes in the afternoon music with words. Yeah. Usually folk music. Um, I do listen to podcasts, but it depends on the time of day. Later in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I like ambient music, but I don't have very much of it. Uh, I don't have Spotify or anything. I'm still using CDs. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. 
You really have Well, like, I don't have Wi-Fi at my studio. <laughs> well, that, yeah. I can't get Wi-Fi. That'll do it. Yeah. I was going to say, you really have attached yourself to a certain delivery of image and sound now. <laughs> <laughs> CDs and magazines. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's old, old school. Yeah, I have a huge CD collection. I just had to like put it in storage because it was so big. You know, it took up so much space. And Spotify is, you know, just, I'm a music fanatic, so I can't get enough. And it's unbelievable the amount of, you know, stuff that, that you can just access immediately. Um, do you like uh, Nusrat Ali Khan? Do you know, like, that kind of like singing, that drone singing and stuff? I love drone. Um, I don't know about drone singing, but um, I love, I like, I find the drone is a good meditative kind of. Sound. I can send you some links of some stuff. I would that, love that. that. I mean, because I, yeah, I, I love, love Ravi that. Shankar and and Zakir Hussain and those those tabla players that like a kind of repetitive things that you can just get into a drone, you know. Yeah, yeah. I find that very helpful to starting working. Definitely. Yeah, yeah and and yeah. to keep going sometimes, you know, to have that energy when you can get lost in that meditative groove where you can just. Mm-hmm. I like. Uh, Fela Kuti for that because you know it's a lot of those songs are like 15 minute long songs where it's just that beat right. over and over and it, you can get in that groove it's, it's mm-hmm. conducive mm-hmm. to making work definitely yeah yeah I'd love it if you could send me some links I'm looking for new new droney things I promise but then I can't send the CDs so I don't know what to do what do you where do you get your CDs uh, oh I well I can order them online that's true you could do that yeah Order them online. Uh, my partner is always every Saturday morning. Uh, there's a record store here called uh, Trentois Tour. Thirty three turns, I guess. Um, and he buys second. Uh, their second hand. Uh, he buys LPs, vinyl. Yeah. So he sees what's new every single nice. week. Like on there at 10 a.m. That's a cool name for it, I guess, referring to the 33.3 revolution. Well, that's good to know that you're, you know, into classical. And I can picture that music play. You know, I had this final thought. I had this picturing, like, of you as a dancer when you're little and then maybe going to a museum and seeing a Degas and being like, ah, like bridging the gap between the two. But I imagine when you see Degas now, there's something that, that just kind of like rings, right? Well, I used to, yeah, I was I was interested in his work, but I used to somehow thought of him as being very mathematical. Yeah. Because of the architecture and the way he would structure images, um, it felt very yeah very formal. Cezanne-ish. Uh, you know, like a, almost like a Cezanne yeah. breaking of the picture plane into. You know, because he always had this yeah. sort of diagonal, kind of like formal yeah. movement through the picture plane. It seemed very composed in its, you know, very, in its formal yeah. aspects. Yeah, and he was like using the dancers as ge- geometric figures almost. Yeah. Yeah, the geometry of the of the rectangle. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, just those two twos alone make those shapes. And the, I, I can't, I, I can't not Diagonals. see geometry whenever I see those paintings. Yes, it's all very calculated formally. Definitely. Well, thank you. It was so nice to to get to know you and to um, very nice to meet uh, you. Thanks for reaching. Yeah, in. I, I'm hoping. I mean, maybe one day I can see the work in person. Whenever we go back to real life, that would be really nice. 
Yeah, well, I'm supposed to have a show in New York, actually, at um, Arsenal Contemporary. There you go. Looks like I'm going to be so, seeing your work soon. When is that? Do you have um, dates yet? Well, it was, sched- it was scheduled for September. Um, it might have to get deferred a bit. Right. But it should be within the year. So it'd be lovely to meet yes, you. Yes, for sure. At, at that time. Yeah, that would be great. And at, you know, being fully vaccinated and stuff, it feels like maybe there's some light on the horizon here to where we can all go see work so. together again, you know? Yes, I hope Knock on so. Wood. It will be. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I think we've all had enough of this experiment of, exactly. <laughs> of isolation, you know? It's been long. It has. It's long. Yeah, it's, it's done this weird time stretch. But um, yeah, that'd be great. Keep me posted on the dates of that. And. Um, and people can find your work on the website of the galleries. Be. Is that the best? Way? What's the best way for them to see the work for the shows? Yes. So, uh, Gallery Twelve Twenty Six in Dallas, and Bradley Artaskaran in Montreal. I don't know how. To, how can I communicate the websites to you? Are just the names enough? Oh yeah, I'll put them in the uh, writing of the podcast so people can. I will, I'll link it up. So people can check out the work. Okay, perfect. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it'll be uh, probably 1226 is opening on the 17th of April and the one here opens on the 30th. Well, congratulations. That's great. Congratulations on having more time to make work. work. That sounds so nice. It was lovely to meet you. Hopefully in in real life soon. Yes, great. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to the website, soundandvisionpodcast.com, and you can find images from the podcast on Instagram, at soundandvisionpodcast. Many thanks to Janet for sitting down and speaking with me. Make sure you check out her shows at 1226 Gallery in Dallas and Bradley Ertaskarin Gallery in Montreal. You can find out more about her work. You can follow her on Instagram and check out the gallery websites for information on those shows and how long they run. Many thanks also to Lullatone for the intro-outro music and, as always, to Michael Lovett from Nazca Lines and Metronomy for doing the introduction. Many thanks to you for listening, and if you can, please go to iTunes and leave a review and a rating for the podcast which helps it expand the audience out to more people who might be interested in listening to artists and musicians talk about their story. I've got lots of good conversations, lots of great artists lined up to speak to coming at you soon, so make sure you stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on, and many thanks to you for listening.